Expedition 44 here with Ryan and the newly proclaimed Dr. Matt. Congratulations, Thanks. Matt. Yep, yeah. a long, a long, uh, we've kind of said this the last couple of videos, but in case you missed it, Matt's been working on his THD, which is probably the highest level THD, PhD degree you can attain, and he finished that, defended his thesis. We'll be having uh, an episode coming out on that later this week, too. Mm -hmm. We'll probably continue over the next six months to talk about it, and maybe even more. We'll probably end up uh, going to publish, and so it's probably going to be a tight part of our Expedition 44 community. You might also know we have a guest with us today. Everybody uh, say hello to you, Sam. Sam is a good friend of ours. He's uh, sort of uh, involved in our little microchurch a little bit. He's also a student at CTS. Today is our 18th part on the church, yeah. on the never-ending wow. series. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> um, we've, we've taken a little a couple little micro-series in between, things like that. But, uh, James and Revelation and stuff yeah. like that, Sam. But uh, today we are back on church. We are in the fivefold. I'm going to let Matt kind of do that a little bit more. But we're talking about the evangelist, and we invited Paul because Sam. Uh, Sam, Sam, sorry, Paul, Sam. We invited Paul's Sam. Best friend. <laughs> we invited Sam because uh, Sam, I would say, has the uh, spiritual gifting evangelist. And if you've never sort of picked this up or read between the lines, Matt and I really don't, don't have and that so, gift as much. So we decided to bring him, and so uh, he's a CTS student. Him and his wife also run a organization called Amen Adventure. Sam, tell us a little bit about yourself, what you do, who um, you are, who you guys are, your family, yeah, things like so, that. Um, my wife Brittany and I um, have, are expecting our sixth child. Um, she was saved through a miscarriage that we had, and I was saved six years later. Um, so it was quite a while that she was actually war rooming for me, which which was awesome, and what a great gift a child could bring to his mother, but salvation, you know. So um, we have our sixth child on the way, and um, in 2018 I gave my life to Christ, and I started a nonprofit organization called Amen Adventures, and um, I had a friend that was an atheist, and it all started through taking him dirt biking and on some mountain trips, and. Um, He's now a Christian, and uh, he's leading Bible studies at his church, so a lot of discipleship um, for him um, between the two of us. And uh, now as a family of seven, soon to be eight, we do a lot of uh, family um, evangelistic events where we take people fishing, hunting, tubing. Um, we actually just joined Ryan on a trip to um, the Boundary Waters yeah. in Canada, which was awesome. So we do a lot of family-based We're repairing ministry. a boat in the background over here, yeah. if you can't see that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> a little bit of damage. Yep. <laughs> in the rock. And, um, so we do a lot of outdoor-based activities and um, witness to people. So my whole family is very outgoing. Um, we have one that's pretty shy, but um, she's getting there. Um, we do a lot of evangelism to a lot of people in a lot of different ways. Um, my wife recently just started uh, Amen Adventures Academy where we're going to be doing a homeschool co-op where it's all mission-based stuff. Mm -hmm. So we're going to be going out into the community nice. and loving on um, different people in the community and just showing them what Jesus looks like. So, um, yeah, that's a basics. I'm a high school football coach. Um, at Waterford, a youth football coach, have a lot of football background. I own a construction company where I build custom homes, so I do a lot of uh, conflict resolution in a 
Christian way, and um, it's it's been awesome. God's definitely been working on my heart, and it's been a blessing for these two to be a part of my life um, and disciple me and show me more of what Jesus looks like, and I'm learning a lot about scripture and a lot about theology that I that I didn't know. I grew up in the church, so um, I'm just learning, relearning a lot of that stuff, but I'm it's been great to be on here, and I'm such I'm, I feel blessed to be on here. Yeah, thanks, man. Yeah, it's so good to have you on. We're um, so we're kicking off now. We've taken, like you said, a, a little hiatus from. Uh, I was finishing my dissertation, like Ryan said, and we're diving back into our church series. Yep. We'll have a lot of episodes coming out soon to yep. uh, kind of wrap this thing up and then go into whatever God has next for us. But anyways, um, off the top, you guys know Expedition 44 is a covenant communi community dedicated to cultivating a discipleship culture that's wholly devoted to Jesus, and that kind of throws us kind of into our evangelism episode. Um, so let's just look first. Uh, if we find the first mention kind of of evangelist here, and we've been going through the fivefold. So let's just read Ephesians 4, 11 through 13 to kick us off. We're going to do a little bit of recap because it's been a little bit since our last fivefold episode. So let's get I'll back read into that. that. And he gave some as apostles and some prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints of the work of service to the building of the body of Christ until we will attain to the unity of faith in the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Cool. So, uh, a little bit of a recap since it's been a little bit since our uh, prophet episode, yeah. which was about two and a half, three months ago. Yeah. Um, so these are all functions and not offices. They are gifts not roles. Yeah, and I think that's the hardest thing for people when they start getting an Expedition 44 idea of this. And I mm -hmm. won't, I really shouldn't just say Expedition 44 because most of the biblical theology scholarly world is going to go this way. Yeah. This isn't anything new if you're used yeah. to reading in this world. It's just, it's going to mm -hmm. be new if you're evangelical. The, the church world. Casually attends church and you <laughs> so. go, wait, I, I thought I was elected to this role as an elder or something like that. No, it's a gifting. Yes. Yeah. Talking about your yeah. gifting base. And so if we look at the whole like scope of this like text in Ephesians chapter 4, it's really about equipping the body yeah. and then it's it's kind of zoomed in on a few different gifts but it's not to the elevation of these gifts over the other like 22 we see in scripture exactly and so matt and i are always very anti-hierarchy language mm -hmm. and that's because when jesus came what did he do he made himself nothing Servant. he gave us the ultimate picture of that and as elders come full circle they're supposed to be imitating Christ. Mm -hmm. And so as they imitating Christ, is it is it, you know, sitting up on top over everything? Well no, it's it's serving from the mm -hmm. underside, the underneath. So it's not hierarchy based language. And today that's really where I think our churches get most of this wrong as the pastor, the elder stuff as they turn those into positions or even elected officials or, you know, CEO positions and things like that. It turns into hierarchy, which exactly 
is the opposite. The opposite of what it's <laughs> supposed to look like. Yeah, and so really, um, we believe that everybody kind of has an aspect of all these different gifts. Like you've mentioned, the like Transformers power chart of um, there's some who rank higher in these, right. but you kind of all have an aspect of somewhere on the spectrum yeah. uh, in all of these. And that's kind of what we were referring to with bringing yeah. Sam on is that Matt and I are. Our evangelism gifts, I would say we have that, but it's in the term of way down here, and what I would teaching call gifts. evangelism would be if I'm teaching a class and somebody keeps coming four or five times or something like that, and pretty soon I'm having this conversation, where where is your relationship with God? Where are you at? Would you like to be discipled? And I would say naturally through that process, they're going to end up proclaiming an allegiance for Christ. And that's evangelism in some aspects. Yeah, that's what we're going to talk about today. But that's yeah, where... But Matt Sam is like super bold, <laughs> where he's going out to people, and that's, that's not different. so much us. Yeah. I, think, so, I think it's... You guys do it a lot more than you know, than you notice, too, though. Yeah. Yeah. You look a lot like Jesus, and I think sometimes we forget that. But we were on a canoe trip, like I said, and, and we took all these people on a canoe trip, and one of the things that Sam did was... was uh, we all led devotionals, and if you've ever been on an Expedition 44 thing, there is no, okay, we're going to have a devotional yeah. right now. Like, yeah. it is, the whole thing is, uh, yeah. is nonstop worship, devotion, whatever, yeah. and so we're constantly having these conversations. The kids is, I mean, the kids grew up in this culture, and so yeah. the kids are just used to it. They're not rolling their eyes and saying, oh, mm -hmm. you're talking about Jesus again? Like, yeah. isn't it time to go swimming? No, we're swimming. Yeah. And talking about Jesus. And yeah. so We had a small group meeting the other night, and it was my turn to lead the devotion. And like literally, we talked about First Peter 5 for two hours, yeah. and the kids were sitting there like attentive the whole time. Yeah. It's just yeah. kind of been the culture we built into our, exactly. our group. And so Sam's, anyway, he's, he's, he's encouraging everybody to like use every conversation. Every, mm -hmm. every conversation with anybody outside, our kids kind of live in a little bit of a bubble. I talk about that a lot. But outside of the bubble, these kids are going to have interaction. And when you do, you should be imitating Jesus. And, mm -hmm. you know, evangelistically, Sam does that, I would say, better than Matt and I. Mm -hmm. That's more of his, he might be a power eight, nine, maybe even a ten. <laughs> Matt, you know, or yeah. Matt and I, you know. Two or three, maybe. <laughs> but it's a little bit different, too. Yeah. So, anyway. Yeah. So, um, coming back to Ephesians 4 here, um, kind of the goal of all of this is for the body of Christ to be whole and mature, be united in faith. The whole context of these verses is about unity in the body, and that's what yeah. the gifts are all about. The entire chapter focuses on unity and not positions that divide clergy from laity at all. So that's kind of an overview. But today we're talking about evangelism. And kind of, I think the evangelical church gets some aspects of this really right. Yeah. Um, I think that they don't... It might even be the thing they do the best. Best, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so where some see these as offices, like the office of apostle, the office of prophet, the office of pastor, the office of teacher... I don't see any evangelical churches seeing the office of evangelist. Right. And so they see this as a gift that the yeah. whole body should have. So they get this right. But then it's also kind of weird because they'll put the office of pastor, the office of teacher stuff, and then it gets <laughs> strange, you know. Very picky and pick, choosing. Pick and choosing yeah. which ones are offices and which ones are giftings yeah. in this whole context. Yep. And so really we got to kind of ask, like, why do we pick and choose? Yep. Um, we also need to notice in this text that really all of this is plural, um, that um, we have many operating in these gifts, all of these gifts in the church, so many apostles, many prophets, many yep. evangelists, many um, shepherds and teachers. 
And so I think that that, um, so when we want to land on that single senior pastor thing, it really goes against the text because even pastors in this are plural. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. But they do get the thing that, right, that all of us in some aspects should be evangelists. Yep. And so, and this is where I kind of say oftentimes, like, it's not really my gifting. What I want in a beautiful situation of the body using their gifts is for Sam to go out and, you know, do this to every single person he knows. And pretty soon the family dollar clerk is, you know, coming into our kind of entry level Bible study. And so is the guy you met at the boat launch. And so are his kids' friends and football Mm -hmm. practice with them and everything else. And then he sort of turns them over to the next person. One person might have gifting and, you know, it's all sort of steps, like gifting towards talking to people in their first mm-hmm. first steps with the Lord. And then eventually you get to, you know, the level where you're at Matt, with Matt and I in a mentoring relationship. You're one of the 12 or 18 that works with us and you're in CTS like yeah. you are now. Yeah. And so... This is kind of the flow of, of the way that it was meant to be integrated and woven together. And, I mean, we just don't see that very much. But I think if we went back to the first century, we would see a lot of that kind of interaction. Mm-hmm. So let's dive in here to the evangelists. We've kind of done a little bit of an intro recap yep. here. Kind of introduce Sam, who's going to be along with us for the ride here and telling us about what uh, evangelism looks like um, later on in this episode yep. in real life. Yeah. Um, and so... In Ephesians 4, we get the word euangelistas, which is translated as evangelists. Try saying that six times yeah. in a row real quick. <laughs> and yeah. then this comes from the root of euangelion, which is the word we get the gospel from, or the good news. And so evangelists are really gospelers. Yeah. Um, now, we want to make this an evangelical word like we do with everything in the Bible, but if you went back to the first century, you wouldn't necessarily be seeing this just in a Christian context. In fact, it would be quite the opposite. You would already know the word, and I might even call it a borrowed word from the culture. Yep. Where else would you have known it? Yep. Caesar would have sent his evangelists out to proclaim the good news of the Pax Romana, the because peace of he Rome. he was Lord. He was Lord. <laughs> yeah. And so it, they proclaimed Caesar's reign and his peace that he brought through destroying all his enemies yeah. to, to the world. Um, but in the Christian context, I think um, Frank Viola has a great article on his website, beyondevangelical.com or .org, um, where he defines... Christian evangelists this way. It says, evangelists enable the church by modeling the preaching of the good news to the lost. They are fearless souls who possess an extraordinary boldness to share Christ with non-believers, and they have a genuine passion for the unsaved. The closest equivalent to an evangelist in a today natural is a natural-born salesman, but an honest one, of course. <laughs> and, and I agree with that wholeheartedly. Frank's one of our favorite people. We, we had, had him on, yeah. Yes, we've had him on the show, things like that. And I agree with him in many ways with the salesman thing. In fact, if you go to e- any evangelical church in America, they're, they're kind of going to sell salvation. Mm-hmm. I mean, everything is packaged in this way to sort of sell salvation. And part of that is the way it's supposed to be. I mean, we're su- what do we do from the very beginning of time? We're supposed to be representatives or ambassadors. We're supposed to be modeling what a better picture of Yahweh Jesus looks like. And so in many ways, we're supposed to be sort of selling it. 
but we're not doing a very good job mm -hmm. most of the time of selling it. And then you get to the thing of salvation isn't really a product, so you're not really selling the product, you're selling the... to try to. <laughs> a relationship. Yeah, yeah, you're selling a person. I would say that rather than a salesperson, I would say that like a networker would probably be a better aspect of that. Yeah. Like you're networking people to introduce them to other people. And I, I would say that maybe that's a better analogy than a salesperson because it's more relational than selling a product. Yeah. And Sam really gets that. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll talk about that a little bit later of mm -hmm. um, selling something and making it look like it's supposed to. Mm -hmm. Like if, if, if you're selling something and you're saying something and you're doing something yep. else, it's not very sellable, is it? Yeah. Yep. So I think I want to go back and just talk about the first century. So Matt and I are really kind of, uh, we always want to start in textures of interpretation of, of what would this have meant. When you read the New Testament with evangelism, what would it have meant to the intended audience, to the people that are, are reading, hearing this for the first time? And so one of the most used um, verses is Romans 10.9. We could sit and <laughs> talk forever <laughs> about that. Yeah, the Romans wrote everything else. And so um, I just want to read that says says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. So that's what you've always heard as part of the Romans road, things like this. Um, in the first century, to confess Jesus as Lord was really like treason. And mm -hmm. we, we were we were saying that with Nero, basically, mm -hmm. that Nero was the Lord, and if you didn't believe in Nero, you were basically, you know, pledging your allegiance in a different Lord mm -hmm. who would have been Jesus. It was sort of a death sentence. And that's why I've made this point on several videos before that when the centurion, the high-ranking yeah. person came and Jesus said to him, you have greater faith, faith than anyone. Yeah. That was like Jesus almost saying, you know, good luck, you just put a two-week trial on your life, you yeah. know. And so... It's interesting, though, when you get to Jesus as Lord, and I just want to point this out before we start, because you're, you're going to have preconceived conceptions of what the Bible says, and Romans mm -hmm. ten nine is probably the one singular verse where everybody has this locked in the Romans road in their head, and I just mm -hmm. want to start by saying that there is no adverb in here so jesus as lord as is added in as is added in it's not <laughs> there so it's it's the proclamation of lord jesus, jesus. Mm -hmm. and particularly in hebrew thought this is a single name it's it's not a name in an uh, in an adjective it's adonai yeshua you wouldn't have separated those two things and so so we've separated this today in evangelical Christianity. It's we, like the dashed names. Yes. We, we, don't, we don't just say Lord Jesus. We say Jesus is Lord. And I would actually say that's incorrect, that when they were making this proclamation, it was Lord Jesus, not Lord Caesar, Lord Nero, anything like that. You're making a proclamation that you're going to live your life. You're, you're giving your life, pouring it out. In fact, you know, Matt kind of likes the Bonhoeffer uh, statement of, you know, literally being dead to yourself. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly what it means is that if you're if you're going to die to the rest of the world, you're you're dying so that you might live in Christ and everything else is gone. And that's exactly what Expedition 44 is all about is that all in life community. And if you're not thinking that way, you're really going to get off 
on these salvation conversations, yeah. on these evangelical evangelism conversations, because you're not in the mindset of when somebody gives their life to Christ and makes a proclamation, they should be moving into the cultural community. Yeah. They, they should be quitting life as they know it, and they should be, all right, when do I start my CTS Bible study yeah. tomorrow, you know? <laughs> and and my, my old life, probably even my old job, at least is greatly pulled back and not to the not to the point and you're into that all in community so that's sort of the context that i want you to think and people struggle with that because for for the last six eight thousand years of the world that's sort of the way it worked and maybe life made it easier to do that as you're you know you don't have the technologies that we have today in modern america we struggle with this. Yeah. But for thousands of years, they didn't really struggle with it to the point that we struggle with it today. Yeah, so I think where we need to um, begin here before we get into, like, what does an evangelist do? We need to look at, like, the actual message that we preach. And this yeah. is going to be kind of a recap of some of our gospel series. Like, we, we did a whole, like, four-part series on on the gospel and in a, a few other videos like yeah. we mention it all the time that really the gospel at its simplest is lord jesus yep <laughs> so jesus is lord keep it simple <laughs> yeah, right. jesus is king yep. and that's what the lord meant curious um and so an evangelist is one who announces a king or a rule um it is the announcement of a royal message yep. at its heart so evangelists they invite people into the kingdom and into the king's way of life um, they long to introduce people to Jesus. Um, they are inviters. They're the ones who go and tell, but they invite people to come and see Jesus and yep. his community of Jesus' life within them. And really, the result should be that people are introduced into a community to be discipled and not just a soul one. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so what is the gospel message, I think, is what we need to really start with today. And I think that often in the American gospel presentations, the kingship aspect of Jesus is taken out of evangelism and we still call it preaching the gospel. Yeah. So when Matt and I break it down, we want to kind of go through and not leave a rock unturned. And if you read any book about the gospel, they'll probably identify different patterns or different ways versions, to ways to present it, things like that. And so we've sort of, and, and it's not just us, it's our, our sort of biblical theology uh, community has identified four American gospels. The first one is probably the one that you're most familiar with, the evangelical gospels, and I'll call this kind of the, the Romans road, the steps to faith, yeah, things like gospel. that. Four spiritual you know, laws. and They're the ones, I poke fun at pretty much all of these at some point or another, but you'll, you'll kind of hear me saying this over and over. In fact, I think I made one statement that people didn't like of something like if you came to Jesus through a through a bracelet or something like that, you might need years of counseling for it because <laughs> it puts you in the wrong mindset of who Jesus is. It conveys the wrong messages and all of these different ones sort of get off a little bit, but then they get on a little bit. Mm -hmm. And yeah. so there's some aspects some good things, it. some bad things. In fact, uh, our church does uh, walking sticks with beads on them and things like that. And even though I some sort of sometimes say, oh, I want it more relational. I want, I want people to like come through friendship and then see the modeling that we're doing and become part of that rather than just, you know, kind of a conversation on the side of the street. But... 
I wouldn't say that there's not a place for that. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, so many people have come to the Lord through that. And I would put Billy Graham in this sort of evangelical gospel mindset too. Mm -hmm. And I remember when I was young, I was a youth pastor, and my mom asked me to bring my, my family that was not walking with Christ at the time to this. And I kind of rolled my eyes and I was like, oh, you know, you got to be kidding. And like, I came and I watched thousands of people come forward at, at, at this. And I'm sitting there kind of going, is this real? Like, I've always not been a fan of this, but how else are we going to get 6,000 people to like be open to Jesus? And I left saying, well, it might not be my gifting, but Maybe there's a place for it. There's a place. For it. So, <laughs> yeah. so, what does the evangelical gospel, the simple gospel, look like? Yeah. So many of these are kind of sales focused or selling, uh, concentrating on closing a deal. Yeah. Um, the the all the gospels end with something like a sinner's prayer or an altar call, like you yeah. said, like the Billy Graham yeah. thing. And this method of like preaching the gospel really. You can't really find it in scripture, but um, God seems to use it. It rose to prominence after World War II, and um, they intended to make something simple and an accessible message for the masses. And that's kind of when it came about was after World War II. It wasn't present in history before then. So this is one of those challenges that we often put out to people that people go, what? How how can that be? And you question us. Yeah, exactly. And so... I'll just put the challenge out. When you go back and read your Bible, you're not going to see that kind of altar call, come to Jesus salvation moment. I mean, it's not anywhere in your Bible. And so, and it really hasn't been anywhere for thousands of years. It's really this thing that, like Matt said, it's really within our lifetime. It's within our, within our generation. Yeah. And, and one of the reasons why sometimes I like sort of poke fun at it is because it's a little bit like some of the dispensational things like we've talked about before. Like, I really think like... Before our lifetime, they didn't talk about the rapture the way that they talk about it now or about Mm -hmm. the end times or things like that. And I really think (laughs) years later, generations later, we're going to look back and look at this as shallow Christianity, that Mm -hmm. we weren't really reading the scripture and this is going to be sort of a telltale device of that. And so one of the reasons why I shy away from it is because when you see people that are they, they, everything is all into that kind of evangelism. They're preaching maybe the 1% of the New Testament, if it's even 1%. Yeah. Um, so kind of the rest of this is salvation really is about getting you to heaven yeah. rather than getting heaven into you. Yep. It lacks transformation and discipleship. It's also very me-focused because it yep. front loads the benefits of the exactly. gospel instead of making Jesus' kingship the center of yep. it. Um, and it ignores the resurrection and ascension, primarily only focusing on a certain view of the cross, yep. Yep. Um, of Jesus paying a price. And nearly always, like the New Testament emphasizes the resurrection and the ascension yeah. as the central acts of Jesus' atonement. So if you're following, if you're into a King Jesus perspective, everything points to Jesus, the evangelical gospel version of this four spiritual laws, the Romans road, this kind of evangelism, it doesn't fit really well with it because it's more of a construct of what man thinks than it really is a construct of telling us of the Bible telling us how to go about and live things. And so mm-hmm. Matt and I and Expedition 44 and even Covenant Theological Seminary, we really want to do things the way the Bible prescribed. They, yeah. they told us to do it this way for a reason. And I think there's a little variance to get a little 
different because mm-hmm. it's a different world that yeah. we live in. So there's some dynamics to that. But when you're emphasizing sort of a 1% or even a, again, might not be found at all and you're turning it into that, we're going to have some issues there. Yep. All right. So the next is the Reformed Gospel. The Reformed Gospel goes like this. God is perfect, holy, and just. So he's both love and wrath. Yep. Um, and second is you are morally guilty before him yep. because of the fall. And three, God demands his law must be kept. Uh, three is basically you can't possibly do that. Right. And so four, Jesus did it for you on the cross. And that is basically, so trust in him. And so we're not reformed at all. No. We're on the other side of the spectrum at reform. But there's actually some things about this that I think are more biblically inclined than, than the, the other one. Other one, <laughs> yeah. And so part of that is that you might have heard the term Lordship of Christ mm-hmm. before. And that's in Reformed theology, that's a big, big part thing. of yeah. Lordship of, of Christ. And so the one thing that I like about that, or they get right, is it points to Jesus. Yes. And so mm-hmm. that's good that it points to Jesus. And a lot of times, Matt and I call this ditch jumping. You might get somebody in some crazy church over yeah. here, and then they, the and then they jump don't. to the other side. And, and <laughs> miss we the road. <laughs> miss, miss the middle road. So the reform preaching of the gospel really is focused around a cluster of reform doctrines, penal substitutionary atonement, um, imputed righteousness, a reformed view of justification, and we've talked about all these in our atonement series, so if you want to go watch that 12-part yep. series, you can, 12-13 part. Um, Albert Moeller, he's the leading uh, kind of Calvinistic reformed uh, theologian. Yep. He says that justification is not just one doctrine among many, but it is the gospel itself. Everything, yeah. We disagree with that. Right. Um, but um, we see that uh, justification is uh, both eschatological and ecclesiological, where they would see it more as soteriology. Yeah, um, and that's connected because of their legal views. And yeah, so they're gonna, it's they're, all legal. It's all legal. They want to connect that. Of course, if you know anything about Reformed theology, they're taking some of the legal aspects or framework that you might hear given uh, allusions to in the New Testament, and they're making a framework around that. Yeah, everything's legal, and it's through a 16th century lens of interpreting the scripture instead of a first century lens. Exactly. Um, And so, again, the issue with this gospel is discipleship really isn't at the center of it, because... Jesus did everything, so you need to do nothing. Right, <laughs> is kind yeah, of yeah. the thing there. It's all it's, and they equate so much, um, like of conflating doing and earning together, yeah. um, and they say that all right, that's self righteousness, and it kind of breeds at times passive Christianity. Not yeah. always. Yeah. Like there's some reform people out there that are really into the word yeah. and about that, but it really, in some that I've seen, friends that I've seen that are yeah. reformed, it creates passive Christianity instead of active discipleship. Yeah. And so looking at the Reformed Gospel, the hardest thing that we have with it is just that everything is kind of given over the legal legal framework and we really don't see the the theology there in it, but when you start bringing people into that kind of thing, it's a head scratcher. I mean, I remember being uh, the, the church that I went to when I was 16 years old, I would say that that was their framework for the gospel. And I just remember at 16 thinking, 
but I, I can't bring friends to listen to this because in my logical, philosophical mind, it doesn't really make sense. Like, mm -hmm. you know, having to just be okay with all these things because that's the way they are. That was the first time in my mind that I had a problem with Reformed theology, and it was connected to the way that they presented the salvation message. And mm -hmm. so, to me, that was in my life the first thing that I said, boy, I don't know if I can, if I can do this kind of theology there's got to be something out there and i say this all the time is that a lot of people that are locked into that reform thinking they don't know that there's another biblical option out there and when mm -hmm. i was 16 hearing the salvation messages hearing how how this is going to work like that was my hang-up of just saying like man i just it there's got to be something mm -hmm. else More, in yeah. the scriptures yeah yep all right so the third one prosperity gospel um kind of the word of faith health and wealth gospel yep. communicates that financial blessing physical well-being is always god's will for people yep. and um kind of poverty and sickness are seen as curses um that are basically sometimes due to broken the broken faith you know yeah. um it can and so these things can sometimes be achieved in some of the worst aspects of this through faith currency like having enough faith or sowing seeds into certain ministries yeah. so that you'll reap benefits and i hate to say it but it's so much of this is connected to money is the mm -hmm. way that you think yeah. about money and i go back in hebrew is money is the love of money or is it money itself the root of evil that's that's anyway. yeah that's another video <laughs> uh so this gospel kind of sounds like uh, God loves you, he's for you, you are his child, you're royalty, Jesus won the victory um, through all of his work, all of his inheritance is your inheritance by faith, you have victory over sickness, victory over poverty, victory over failure, the best is yet to come, your breakthrough is on the way. That's kind of their... And that's a little bit of an Andrew Womack uh, line, the best mm -hmm. is yet to come, and there's things that I actually really like about yeah. that, that like, you know, you're always, that means that your trajectory is always toward Jesus, that you're looking and at... that's so, great. <laughs> so again, like, there's things in this that I sort of go back to, and I also think, well, God wanted to give Israel, you know the grapes for people to come from all over the place so mm -hmm. within the prosperity gospel there's a little bit of truth like i mm -hmm. said before mm -hmm. that like i think is good and i believe it but my hang up is really in the way that if you're telling if you're bringing somebody to a understanding so philosophically what we're saying is some you meet somebody the woman at the well the person at dollar mm -hmm. general the boat launch like i've said whatever it is you're, you're philosophically trying to sell them what your life looks like and why that's better than what they have in connecting them to Jesus. And so in the prosperity gospel, that tends to be done with why why my, my life looks better. better. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And again, it's sort of what we're, we're trying to do, but it's sort of not what we're trying to do. So that's a yeah. hard one. Yeah. And so... There's kind of like the hard prosperity teachers from the 80s and 90s are kind of ousted for false teaching, yeah. but now there's what's called soft prosperity, um, which is um, more about therapeutic and kind of the Sunday morning motivational speech, the health, self-help teaching that um, in very it's celebrity pastor driven yeah. um, these days and, and it's sort of like you're watching those people on TV anyway you're you're looking for a life coach so why can't you get a Jesus life, life coach, coach at the same time yeah, yeah. that's kind of what this doesn't do so um, studies have shown that 17% of Americans identify with this gospel and over 50% of churches that have 10,000 members or more preach this gospel so what don't we like about it 
what we don't like it's about it. <laughs> that's part of it. Yeah. <laughs> but it's but it's entanglement. Yeah. And you know, if you again, Expedition Forty Four, we're huge into entanglement. We don't want to be entangled. We want to be all in. And so when you're thinking of that, what do, what is it preaching? It's wealth, materialism. It's individualism. I I don't think the Bible is much at all about me as much as it is about the communal plan for God's people. And so. I'm going to say that when you're starting from a, a evangelical evangelism perspective of prosperity gospel, you're trying to convince people for the wrong reasons. Yep. Yeah. And so, and often Jesus's example was not that of affluence or wealth, but rather of servanthood and being a yeah. servant to the least of these. Right. <laughs> rather the opposite. The opposite yeah. of the yeah. prosperity gospel. All right, so let's get to the last one. That's the social gospel. This is the fourth American gospel that is wrong. Yep. <laughs> and kind of that this gospel understands really that the gospel is not about going to heaven, but heaven coming to earth. And so they get that right. Um, they do use the language of kingdom, which is absent from the other three gospels. Yep. Yep. And would Jesus always preach the kingdom of God, um, which those other three gospels completely ignore. And it um, and it shows that you can you can't separate the preaching of the gospel from the demonstration of the gospel yeah, right. of being it lived out. So they do get a lot of that right. Um, it sees not only individual sin, which those other three gospels see only individual right. sin, but it sees systemic sin. Yep, we like that. Yep, and so we like that. Um, it emphasizes the dignity of all people about like abolishing racism, abolishing sexism, abolishing classism. Um, even within the church, yep. yeah. which are all good things. And it tries to subvert worldly power. But yep. often the thing it gets wrong is it uses the ways of the world to do this. Right. Exactly. <laughs> this is where yeah. they get it wrong, I think. Don't use their power, but use the ways of the world. Yeah, so so, <laughs> it's all... so what, where does it miss? Yeah, so I think it misses um, because it's really all about political action. And if Jesus was all about political action, why didn't he? Why did he go to the cross instead of going to Rome? Yeah, you know, it would have been a different plan. Yeah. yeah. And so, instead, like he stayed in Israel, and not only in Israel, he stayed in the northern part of Israel, which had no political power, going yeah. to the least of these. Yeah. Uh, Jesus seemed to simply not engage with political activism no, at all. all. Yep. <laughs> and S steered clear of it. Yeah. And so I think while this is a well-intentioned uh, mindset. Um, by trying to make the world a better place, it often uses the ways of the world to try to make the world a better place instead of, and it often like neglects the body of Christ, the church, because it's all about action outside of the church instead of building up the church, which is the kingdom of God and the better place God has already planted in the midst of the world. Yeah, there's also a rift in this one where the church isn't really centrifugal to yeah, it. It's sort it doesn't of this, really matter. <laughs> no, you're sort of this individual that as long as you follow God and the precepts of it and stay in your own lane, everything is okay. Try to overthrow evil outside of the church then. Yeah, yeah and... and you know, the the issue that it creates is you're going to have a very political gospel mm -hmm. if that's what you do. And, and, yeah. and that's what a lot of the, you know, I think people that end up going down the social gospel plan, like they, they just, they turn into their own version of Jesus and Christianity mm -hmm. and they, yeah. they sort of make their own recipe for this. And again, the reason why we don't really prescribe very much to this is because we want to go back and do what the Bible says and this sort of 
turns into what you want to do and what you think the Bible says, then rather studying to really show yourself approved and find out what the Bible actually says on it and how to live. Yeah, and so kind of a summary of all of these before we actually get into what is an evangelist. It's going to be a long episode. Yeah, <laughs> um, all of these concentrate more on the individual and what the gospel does for me yep. rather than what, and it takes actually the focus off of God. Yep. Like with, with all of this, uh, Dallas Willard in his book, The Divine Conspiracy, he says that these approaches are about a gospel of sin management yep. rather than about the gospel of the kingdom and about discipleship. Yep. So it's all about managing your sin rather than a gospel of, oh, well, there's a king. So now yep. what do we do about that? <laughs> that yep. isn't Caesar. Exactly. Um, and so, and he says much of the modern church um, needs to do nothing less than engage in a radical rethinking of the Christian concept of salvation. Yep. He's talking about getting back to the ancient definition of salvation and not the pie in the high yep. sky going to heaven or any of what it does for me, but who is Jesus? And that's probably closest to where we land, mm -hmm. is let's get back to the sort of recipes of the first century, what the New Testament says in terms of evangelism, Maybe even go back to what the Old Testament emphasized. We'll get there in this episode a little bit. But what's the bottom line? Yeah, so the kind of the bottom line is the kind of gospel you preach determines the kind of disciple you will make. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. So that is the number one thing. And so when we start and we talk about how are you going to present the gospel, you're sort of selling them what this life looks like. And if you're selling them something that's not accurate to what the rest of the Bible describes as being mentored or being discipled or the course mm -hmm. of action you're going to take, you're going to get it off. And so mm -hmm. it's it's sort of like one of these things of like if you're if you're describing a reformed version of of this and then later somebody gets into this and they go, "Gosh, I just don't know about this whole predestination thing and everything." They spent four years mm -hmm. off of what the the was and this happens all the time and this is sort of why people ditch jump is because mm -hmm. they get led to christ this way and then 10 years later they're going this can't be it mm -hmm. you know and we've we i have a couple in my church that i just hung out with uh most of the day on saturday and they were they were in church for 10 years and at the end of the 10 years they kind of said like boy, I just don't know that this is for me, you know? And, and they're talking about maybe even separating their marriage or kids didn't go believe in what they were into and all that. And my wife, Krista, spent some time with them and said, you guys have been, been going after the wrong thing. Right. Now, if I had to put my finger on why they were going after the wrong thing, it went all the way back, not to the nine and a half years, it went back to the first six months of the presentation of what they were thought they were getting into yep. that was way off. Mm -hmm. And so they were pursuing the wrong thing for nine and a half years. And now in the last year, they've gone on Expedition 44 retreats and everything else. And their their mindset for who Jesus mm -hmm. is and what he's doing in their life is upside down, we might say. It's like Paul says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Yes. <laughs> so. like, they, they, they would tell you like, they were just off and and it was good intended. They were in a good church. They yep. were surrounded by good people, but the theology was off. Mm -hmm. All right, so let's look at Jesus's gospel here. Um, quick to see like what's the right gospel to preach. Right. Let's go to Mark uh, chapter one, verses 15 through 18. It says, and saying, 
This is Jesus talking. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And he was going along the Sea of Galilee. He saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net in the sea, and they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Great. So Jesus' gospel is about a king and a kingdom. Mm -hmm. And say, let's keep this simple. Like, that's what it's about. If you're telling somebody about the gospel, that's where it starts. Mm -hmm. There's a a king and there's a kingdom, and it has nothing to do with this this world. Do you want to be part of it? Or the benefits. There's no benefits, Yavre. You just said, follow me. Now, (laughs) we do believe in repentance. Yes. Why? How does that fit in? Yeah, repentance, the Greek word metanoia really means to change your thinking. This like we said, it's renewal of yes. the mind. Yes. Um, and so it's not necessarily about forgiveness, but that's part of it. But changing who you are following. And this is what Jesus calls people to, is not to follow Caesar, not to follow the ways of the world, not to follow yeah. all these things that we saw in those other American gospels, yep. necessarily, but to follow Jesus. <laughs> And this is where I really go off all the time of saying like the core of this, of following Jesus is Paul would say to follow me as I follow Jesus. And so the core is that we're supposed to be mentoring those underneath us. We're supposed to have our one, our three or 12. Like literally when somebody comes to a a faith of Jesus, they should be immersed in this community of Jesus and this kingdom of Jesus. And everybody around them should get that. They should be, be, Going to Bible studies in school, their kids should be immersed in this with them too. And and they should be going, all right, I'm in this. Now, who am I going to bring with me the same way? And it's that multiplicity of one thing over the other of, of building this after this, after that. And that's when... Both CTS and Expedition 44 use this word culture, and that's mm-hmm. what it means is yeah. creating a culture of people that are fervently following the Lord in everything that they do. Yeah, and so even when Paul talks about the gospel, uh, he does that three times where he explicitly says, this is my gospel, and that's right. Only three times? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so he, three times where he lays it out, yeah. um, which is Romans 1, 1 through 6, uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4, and 2 Timothy 2, 8 through 10. And all three emphasize Jesus as Lord, Jesus as yeah. King, is the central part of it. Second, it connects the story of Israel every single time, which yeah. is the story of the kingship, the story of discipleship, of God's calling as a people, as a community. And then third, it emphasizes the resurrection in all yep. three of those. And um, Allegiance and obedience, obedience are the core factor. Yeah, yep. all three at the end of them call for a response of allegiance and obedience, not of just a mental like acceptance, oh, I believe in God, or I believe in Jesus, or I yep. believe in that he died for me. No, it's an allegiance of a whole life lived. Yeah, and it's 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 tied in with devotion. And so this is where we're going to get to where the Old Testament connects. But I mean, Mm -hmm. that's what the Torah was thinking is you're going to learn to be devoted. And as you learn to be devoted, there's, there might be some suffering or it might seem like an endurance race in Mm -hmm. Paul's language or something like that. But this is what it means to be completely allegiant, devote. Jesus would say perfectly, complete, wholly devoted to following me. Yeah, and so the actual gospel is Israel's story, which culminates in Jesus as the king of Israel, and now how we participate in that story. Yep. And that's kind of what it 
all is about. It's the story that invites people to participate in what God is doing amongst his people and how we are being transformed into the likeness of Christ through the Holy Spirit in that community. So next, let's think about Jesus brought people to him. Mm -hmm. He brought people to follow him. I mean, that's essentially what Jesus did was he Mm -hmm. made disciples and he said, now I want you to go out. He commissioned them and do the same thing. So when we look at how did Jesus talk people into this allegiance, obedient devotion? What did he say to them? How did he go about doing this? We would call this evangelism. That's Mm -hmm. what everybody calls evangelism. So how does Jesus look or how does he go about bringing people to follow him? Yeah, so I think Jesus is our example for each of the fivefold gifts. Yep. Yep. So he's the apostle, he is the prophet, he is the evangelist, yep. he is the, the pastor, the shepherd, the teacher. And so Jesus always preached the kingdom of God. Yeah. That was like the, if there's one thing that Jesus talked about the most, it wasn't about money, it wasn't about hell, it was about the kingdom of God. Yeah. And, and so this is kind of a reclaiming, and so we mm-hmm. use that word a lot, but you're, you know, people are going to be born into the world, they're sort of turned over to the world, and the plan was that all people would be regained, reclaimed, for what? They're reclaimed yeah. for the kingdom of yeah. God, for the king and the kingdom to give him honor and glory. Yeah, it's about the restoration of all things. And so Jesus always called people to follow him. To leave everything behind and be a disciple. To come into the community. And conversion to Jesus was costly. It wasn't just a simple prayer, secret password that you said. But it was literally like leaving everything at the beach. Leave your father and mother. mother. Yeah. That he said his gospel would bring a sword because it would create division among people. Now to us this sounds crazy. Like today, if I was going to start out in a in a in an evangelistic conversation with somebody at Dollar General, I'll say, you know what? Jesus says you gotta leave your father and your mother and everything else, and you gotta cleave to the Bible, devote yourself totally. They'd say, What cult am I joining? You know, yeah. what, what do I want to do? And and the the thing is, is that doesn't sound like a good evangelism message, but at some point that should actually be part of what you're talking to somebody because if they don't get the cost, the cost, the total turning of from their former life, the as Bonhoeffer says, the death to their old life, you're selling them something that's not really true. Mm-hmm. So if you're looking at the gospel, there is some place I'd kind of, you know, point you to, and that's, there's a chapter on this, and we get all the time people asking, well, what is the gospel? And there's a lot of really good books out there on this, and so this one, this is chapter seven of the, this is the second edition of the first book, but I just kind of want to, before we keep going, there's, there's a paragraph in here that I think sums up our version of this really well. It says, the gospel isn't a momentary decision of salvation. Although salvation is a large part of it, it isn't simply forgiveness of sins. Although repentance for abandoning what was given to us is also part of it. It's the defeating of the fallen spiritual beings or the Satan figure as part of it. It's, it isn't just going to church, but the church is the bride of the word. It isn't just the great announcement of the, of the forever king, although these things, like we just said, would culminate and bring the forever king. It isn't merely allegiance, but this kind of soul allegiance is necessary, and without it, the gospel wouldn't be found. It comes with the complete plan. It's all of these things wrapped 
wrapped up in it's all a story. of it. It's the story, <laughs> identifying with that mm -hmm. story and saying, this is what I want to live for, is the complete package. And so the problem in my mind with instant evangelism, although there are a few tiny places where you see it in the Bible that we'll talk about, the problem with it is, is you don't possibly have that amount of time to, to give the whole story. So we're all involved with a organization called Trace Dias, and our version of it is a little bit different than what I think International Trace Dias does. But we've kind of reformulated Trace Dias to sort of uh, do a version of figuring out where you've been and almost everybody that comes, you're supposed to be a Christian to come on the weekend, so almost everybody that comes has a proclamation of that. But then over the course of the three days, we basically um, restate the gospel message in a better biblical value. And guess what? By the end of those three days, what they find out is that they didn't have a very good conception of what they were getting into, yeah, and exactly. now they understand. understand. Yeah. And so... And again, a lot, most of these people have been in churches for five, ten, it's been 15 years since their yeah. conversion experience, but then they come into these weekends and they go, I totally misunderstood what I signed up for and now I'm ready to go. Yeah. Now I'm ready to be all in, totally devoted. Yeah. All right, so let's dive into what did evangelism look like in the Old Testament? Ryan, you're the Old Testament guy. Walk us through this. Oh boy, we could spend like videos by itself just on this right. one. And so, if you're if you're gonna dig deep into the Old Testament, you're gonna find things that are strange in mm -hmm. in terms of evangelism. So, um, surprisingly, there isn't a great book out there on evangelism in the Old Testament nope. because there wasn't really evangelism <laughs> in the Old Testament. And so, that's gonna not sit right with a lot of people. If you were reading the Old Testament, if you were one that was going through this, and I asked you, where is the instruction to evangelize? It's just not there. Now, some people back read the Old Testament with the New Testament in mind, and they back read it, and they try to pick and choose, and they say, well, it might be here, it might be there. And so some examples of this, and again, this, some of these things get, get a little bit strange, but you might have even heard some of this stuff is, you know, in trying to explain how the flood happened, how God could do something like that. Could there by chance have been, is, is that an easy way for the completely unregenerate to have passed away that they might be given a chance later. And this kind of comes into Apostles' Creed language where... Jesus descended into Hades. Yes. Yeah. And so, do you believe that? Do you know? Well, we don't have all the cards. We don't, we don't. know the answers to that. But there mm -hmm. does seem to be something happening where Jesus goes down in a Christus Victor form and defeats, gets regains the keys, whatever. And while he's doing that... He seems to be ministering. Why is he ministering? Well, the implication is that there could be another chance. So particularly if you are a universal reconciliation person, you're going to point that out. And there's a lot of Old Testament things. In fact, most universal reconciliation people I know are Old Testament people. And the reason is, is because when you read it, there's going to be these strange things where they fight against their enemies and they lay them to sleep and they 
cover them up and they pray over them almost to the sense that they might be regained as their brothers mm -hmm. later. Mm -hmm. Well, how does that happen? That just gets, most most of you have in an evangelical church have never heard of this. This is weird thinking to you. Again, this sort of lands on the universal reconciliation side. But I'm just going to go back to say that other than these real stories, you're going to be hard-pressed to find any kind of evangelism. Like, was was Rahab evangelized? Did, did they go to her and did they say, we have a great plan for you. Let me show you the beads yeah. on my wrist. And then maybe you can help us in this. There was none of that. Now, she became part of the community because there was an interaction that took place. And what happened? She wanted what they had yeah. they they were saying this and she said i'm i'm living in sin i'm living in destruction i'm living in utter chaos what you guys have is life and joy i want that how do i get part of it and they said well we don't do this very often but i guess in this case we'll let you join yeah, come, and so come, come, come on over yeah. so i'll just break this down a little bit if i if i kind of go through it a little bit and just kind of talk in plain language about it, what it looks like is essentially it would have been the plan. Mm -hmm. It was the plan from the very beginning that Israel would be a, a light to the nations. A light to the nations. Uh, what what are ambassadors? They're models. Yeah. They, they show what's going on when they moved in. We I talk about, I get into, you know, what was going to happen. And I shared a Bible study this last weekend about the Ugarit and how grapes and, and wine is so important. And when Israel was was coming in, there's this there's this fable in history from the Canaanite records of like for a couple years the grapes grew as big as your head. And so, you know, they just write this as a matter of fact, isn't that strange? But when you sort of harmonize it with the Bible, you go, well, that's when Israel was supposed to move in. Like yep. God was going to give them these grapes as big as their head and like they never got it, so mm -hmm. to speak. And so that is what happened is they never got there. And so mm -hmm. Israel was supposed to be this nation to reclaim, to regather. And right away, you do read some of this in David. I mean, you do get some of the stuff, Psalm 67, uh, you can even go back in Deuteronomy 6 and get a little bit of it. Jeremiah 31 during the, you know, rebuilding, reclaiming, what are we supposed to be doing? You see it in uh, in Psalm 18 and Psalm 22. We've talked, we've done an episode yeah. on Psalm 22 that does sound evangelistic. So I do believe that David actually identified that his kingdom was supposed to be part of this regaining, reclaiming. Yeah but they never get there. And so what you see in the Old Testament is even though evangelism was part of the grand notion that was supposed to happen, they never got there. And so now, that's why we never see it. I don't know where this plan comes. We have these kind of apocalyptic stories of Abraham's bosom on one side of the chasm or the other. Does Jesus go back and say, well, because Israel was really bad at what they were designed for, what they were made for, mm -hmm. and this never happened, I'm going to come back and give, you know, give Jesus a chance to preach and give mm -hmm. everybody a chance. That might be. Again, we don't have all the cards to say yeah. that. So in terms of Old Testament, 
it just didn't go the way. Maybe Jesus, after three days, comes back and like preaches it to the chasms, to, to the degenerates, and they're given a chance. A thief in the cross kind of comes into this discussion of people kind of say, well, what is that evangelism? Well, you got to remember he's actually under the Old Testament at mm -hmm. that point. Yeah. And so rather that's not an evangelism conversation with the thief on the cross. He's just saying, you're going to the place of paradise. And I believe he's saying... There's still a chance here, you know, you're, you're going to be part of this preaching that I'm going to do. And do we have that in the New Testament? I, I'd say probably not. And the reason is, is because we have Jesus. Mm -hmm. If we have Jesus in the New Testament, is there going to be another chance to come back to him after that? Well, sometimes things are shadows in the Old Testament of what's going to happen in the New Testament. So I'm not ruling it out. I'm not ruling out, like I said, I'm a hopeful universal reconciliationist, but when I actually look at what the Bible says, I probably think we're not going to have that chance. Yeah. I think it's probably because we have Jesus, mm -hmm. that is our chance. Yeah, right. Yep. All right. So let's get into the New Testament now with evangelism. Um, so besides what we looked at in Ephesians 4 there, uh, evangelist is only mentioned two other times in the New Testament. <laughs> um, like Does that as, surprise as you? Being, being an evangelist, a yeah, title yeah, of yeah, it, yeah. or what, not necessarily title, but that, yeah. that gifting. So what everybody up, wants to call it title. The title, yeah. yeah. Uh, Philip is said to have the gift of evangelism or be an evangelist. Um, that's Acts 21 verse 8. Um, also, Paul tells Timothy um, to do the work of an evangelist. Now this is hard because what we really want is a book for both of those. Mm -hmm. We really want both of them to write a book on what uh, their evangelism. evangelism look like. When you're talking about walking down the road and this happened, you know, what to say? Give us a book on exactly the way, and we just don't have that book. Yeah. Um, so actually, like, let's look at Jesus first before we get into yeah. those. Jesus. Um, like the very first person that he actually sent out to do evangelism was the woman at the well. Yes. <laughs> you know? Yep. Um, so we have in early the early church they called her Saint Fatina. Yeah, right. And so Fatina was a Samaritan woman at the well. Uh, Jesus basically told her everything that that happened in her life and she was like transformed by her interaction with yep. Jesus. Yep. I love the way the chosen like portray it where like she said, I'm going to tell everybody. And Jesus said, well, I, I hope uh, I was hoping so. <laughs> and so. And then she goes like church history tells us that she was martyred for her evangelism. She was actually called in the Orthodox church, the first evangelist. Right. Yep. And so, and she was martyred by being thrown down that well yep. <laughs> with, with her sons. And so, but when we actually get to the this the text of the New Testament of who it calls an evangelist, we have uh, we have Philip, yep. and then we have Paul telling Timothy to do the work of an evangelist. So we're going to just look at that because they're the two in the New Testament that are called evangelists. Yep. And what do these evangelists do? So let's look at it. Acts chapter eight um, is where we first see about. Philip. Yeah. So Philip, one of the seven deacons, goes to Samaria and preaches the gospel. Yep. Um, this is right after Stephen is stoned in chapter 7. Um, the church starts to scatter um, because of the persecution of Saul. 
So what is he doing? He's proclaiming Christ. Yeah, and that's literally what it says. Is In verse 5, it says that Philip proclaimed Christ. Jesus as king. King, yeah. 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 And so he was announcing Jesus as king. Verse 12 says... Now this is, this is interesting because how did we start this off? That's what people that represented Nero did. He, he sent them out the, all over. The and word? what did they do? They proclaimed, proclaimed Nero as king. And so Philip is doing what he sees... In his culture, what was normal, he is the evangelist. And again, the Greek words line up exactly there. Yep. Um, So yeah, verse 12, Philip says that he proclaimed the gospel of the kingdom and the name of Jesus Christ. Yeah. Jesus King. So verse 14, you get Peter and John coming. Why are they coming? Because they're hearing that he is proclaiming this. Yeah. Peter and John are apostles. Jesus and our apostle thing. And so we get that they lay the hands on people, the Holy Spirit right. poured out. Right. Simon Magnus, you get the story of him there trying to buy the power of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. But why did the apostles come? We need to ask that question. So they heard that he was evangelizing, that people are making cognitive decisions that Jesus is king, and then what happens next? They, the apostles come and there's like, what do apostles do? Apostles plant churches. Yep. Yeah. Right. And so discipleship, these, they come into community. <laughs> the reason they came was not only for the outpouring of the spirit, but for communities to be established because that's what apostles do. Yeah. They come, came to, you know, come there. We see Philip then leaving yeah. at the, it, later in that chapter. It doesn't say that John and Peter left. Yeah. So they're there likely forming these covenant communities around Jesus and the evangelist, he he goes. (laughs) So in this story, it's really important to get a couple of things. And one of them is, is that you have this person of, of evangelism and, and all everybody's getting the proclamation of the King, but they may only be getting part of that story. And this is where it comes back to say that like, there's plenty of people that I know have gotten the wrong gospel message, but if they're fervently seeking, like the couple that I told you, it might have taken them 10 mm-hmm. years, but I do believe that God is going to bring them into devotion. Now, unfortunately, the way that our churches do things, even our own church, I'm speaking to the choir here, even even that, it could be better. But that's why we're doing these videos, is yeah. to try to get better at what we're supposed to be doing. Good. Yep. All right. So let's continue in Acts 8 uh, with Philip. And so he, we have the story of the Ethiopian eunuch. um, And Philip is on his way to Jerusalem and he's in the Gaza area at this time. And so he's leaving Samaria and this eunuch um, who was a God fearer. So he believes in God already at this point. He's reading, um, he's reading the scroll of Isaiah. Isaiah, Isaiah 53, 53 yep. and it's the Septuagint yep. because that's what like you can compare it and, and quote from there. Uh, it doesn't mas- match up with the Masoretic, and that's why we say that probably the oldest yep. text of Isaiah 53 is in the Septuagint. Yeah. And he didn't understand it. He's saying, give, give me clarity to this, yeah. basically. And so basically, Philip, it says that he preached Jesus to him beginning with this scripture. So he yeah. tells the story more than just that scripture, but yeah. he began there and then told the rest of the story. Yeah. And it doesn't seem like he preached penal substitutionary atonement. Again, we just don't have that book. Like, <laughs> yeah. We want the whole book. What, what did you say? What did you do? You know, what are the steps? You know, yeah. we want all that stuff. We tried to make up all those because we don't have the mm-hmm. book. And, eh. and he probably preached the kingdom of God as he did previously yeah. earlier because that's what he said that he was preaching earlier. Now, something happens in this in this story is he gets baptized. And we've, we've 
evangelicals have always connected those two that mm -hmm. you know you you do an altar call and then what happens you open up the baptismal and everybody gets baptized now that's actually some of it that i like because it connects the kingdom what's mm -hmm. going on yeah and uh, this guy had a a knowledge of of the scripture didn't understand some things came to an experiential knowledge and relationship with Jesus yep. got baptized saying hey I'm gonna be all in for this king yeah and that's what baptism was and um, basically after this we see that Philip wasn't seen anymore he wasn't found there and he's transferred basically yeah. somewhere else yep. and it said that he continued to pass through the cities in Caesarea and preach the gospel so you kind of get this picture of like he's preaching and then you got a, some apostles sort of chasing him and yep. they're building up the churches after yep. that, mm -hmm. chasing him that way. I, you might you might take this as a recipe or you might not. Any evangelists try to like use this passage to show, all right, it's just okay to preach the gospel and then leave these people up to God, you right. know? Right. Um, and I'm okay with that, but it's also really problematic. Like if you had the opportunity to introduce them into a community, yep. then you should do it, you know? Um, but history kind of gives us some more information about this particular text. Yeah. Um, just as like Peter and John came and did the apostolic work in Samaria when Philip was preaching there, according to Eusebius, Irenaeus, and Origen, the apostles Matthew and Nathaniel, um, both, they spent three months in Ethiopia already forming churches before this. So the Ethiopian eunuch was in Gaza on business, heading back to Ethiopia, and there were already churches there. And it says that his name was Simon the Black, and he yeah. like told the story that he was told by Philip to all of his other countrymen, and they came into the church. Yeah, and he preached what? He preached about Pre Jesus. About Jesus, king, yeah, the about the healing king. king. Yeah. yeah, and so yeah, so Philip preached and left, but it was, it wasn't, it wasn't to someone really who was local. Right. <laughs> you know, he, he was the guy who was traveling, which is another aspect of this. So this gets tricky with mission work. <laughs> That's the elephant in the room. Yeah. What do you do with missions? And I've been leading missions for a long time, and there's there's different thought patterns on it. But most of the time, I would say the people that m are most impacted by a mission trip are actually the ones that are going on the mission trip. Mm -hmm. And and that's because they put themselves outside of themselves. We live in, in this day and age, we live in America here. Mm -hmm. yep. And we're so about <clears throat> our life and our entanglement mm -hmm. and everything else. And when you get out of that, you realize there's more out here. And then you start having these conversations just on our canoe trip, watching our kids interact mm -hmm. with everybody yeah. that they came just with Jesus yeah. in mind. Every single conversation I have is gonna be about Jesus that comes into this. It's the intentional heart posture of being a servant. Like yeah. you're intentionally saying, I'm going to be a servant. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, and so like getting back to the mission thing, it, it gets tricky in mission work where you just send people in only to preach the gospel, but then have no community for yeah. them to join. No right? follow-up. Who's building the Who's church? building the yeah. church. So it, it 
um, I know of some missionaries who say it works better to plant a church and then do evangelism yeah. rather than just come in and drop off Bibles. Or, and that's you know, also my problem with like the Billy Graham crusades mm-hmm. is that you get 6,000 people come up and I know that most of these type of things, they have people that meet with them afterwards and there's local churches there. Yeah. But but I mean, the one that I went to was I think Rock the River and the Twin Cities and literally there were 6,000 people that came up. And I guarantee those 6,000 people didn't find their way into the churches in the Twin Cities after yeah. that. Like maybe what, 200 of them at best yeah. might have mm-hmm. done that. And so we, it seems like we're really emphasizing evangelism, but the emphasis in the scripture of evangelism was the building of the church. Yeah. And so if we're not getting that, we're really missing what the Bible says about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, the whole thing in Ephesians 4 is about unity of the community, yeah. <laughs> and that's what it's about. All right, so let's look at um, doing the work of the evangelist. That is one thing that Paul says to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 5. And so many take this to be a charge to Timothy to do the work of evangelism, you know, to a charge to go out and evangelize. But let's take a little closer look yeah, at the context yeah. and see what he means there. Yeah, okay. So, First uh, and Second Timothy and Titus are usually called the pastoral epistles, but yep. it really didn't come to that name until 1703. Yep. Um, Timothy and Titus are apostles. They're church planters. Yep. They're not necessarily pastors. They might have shepherding gifts. Yeah. Yep. But primarily, their job is to plant churches, to establish the community. And I, and I want to say that Matt was sort of alluding to the idea that we, what we this is about the fivefold, basically, mm-hmm. of what people think the fivefold, not the other 22, 27 gifts, whatever they mm-hmm. are. And what we're saying is that we've built those boxes. Mm-hmm. We've made it the way that it is, where when you get back to the context of Second Timothy 4 right now, you might get a different idea of what you thought it said. Yeah. Um, so this really about building up and instructing the church is what and false teaching going on in the church yep. is what first and second Timothy are about. Um, and so let's look at the context here. Read a few verses before this to see what what Paul means when he's telling Timothy to do the work of the evangelist. So let's look at 2 Timothy 4. We're going to read just 1 through 5, a couple verses before. Um, So Paul is saying this to Timothy. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge of the living and the dead, by his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort, and with patience and instruction. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accommodate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires, and will turn away their ears from the truth, and will turn aside to myths. But you be sober in all things, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. So who is he talking to? The context is to the church. Church. And so it's not to the world. And so I'm... I'm big on this is that, you know, the church is the body of believers. Let's keep it being the body of believers. Mm-hmm. It doesn't exist to, you know, to, you know, have a sounding ground for who likes the way this looks like. And we've sort of made church into that, giving, you know, that, that you come and listen to a sermon and it's all about the altar call setup at yep. the end. And so there's 500 people in the church and there might be three in there who that aren't. who aren't who are who 
aren't part of the body of believers. And I would even say, why are they even there if they're not body of the believers? It should be the body of believers. Keep it the body of believers. And so that's sort of the reason I feel that way is because of texts like mm-hmm. this. And so so I'm going to challenge you that our evangelism within the walls of the church might be a little off. It didn't look like that in any of these stories that we're reading. Yes, yeah, so I would say that this is evangelism within the church, but not evangelism to get unbelievers saved, but evangelism of proclaiming the gospel of Jesus, the kingship of Jesus. To This is almost prophetic, yeah. more like the prophetic, yeah. but he's using the word evangelist to be the covenant enforcers to get people yep. back on track. Yep. Rebuke, rather, exhort, reprove. Yep. That's the whole context of yep. this. And it's in the context of teaching the word, of sound doctrine, of not feel good messages. Yeah. Um, it's, so it's, it's sort of what we said before is that there are people in the church that have made this profession, but they've sort of wrongly come to that profession. They've, mm-hmm. they've got a, a wrong reason for doing it. And this is sort of a context to let's get them back on track. Let's, let's get them more biblically sound in what they think and why they think. Yeah, and this proclaiming um, or euangelizo, which is the Greek word for... Um, evangelizing within the covenant people is an Old Testament concept as well. We get this in um, Psalm 96.2 where it says to sing to the Lord but bless his name to proclaim that's the word for evangelism in the Septuagint there to proclaim the good tidings, the gospel, um, same word, euangelion there, of his salvation day to day. And it's saying to do this to one another through singing songs together, through the teaching of the word. And then in the context, it talks about the renewal of creation, the salvation. And it also speaks against having the idols of the nation among you. Yeah, yeah, this, we could do a Deuteronomy 32 (laughs) section on this one. Yeah. Yeah, so the work of the evangelist here is not just external, but it's internal in the church. It's giving a call, not giving a call to accept Jesus into your heart or an altar call at the end of your message, but it's in the context of calling Jesus's people to be, you know, reconciled, to repent, you know, that change of thinking, the metanoia, the renew your mind. Yeah. Yeah. So from the beginning, when you talk about evangelism in the church, it's, it's sort of setting the record straight. You're going to have a whole lot of people, and this is interesting. It might even imply that those that have the gifts of evangelism, like they, they, they're fervent about what's going on, but they might not be as in-depth as those that are doing the actual teaching in the church. So there seems to be a little bit of a course correction that might need to happen. And mm-hmm. I'll just be, we got, we got Sam with Sam. How long have you been living with Jesus now? Um, 2018, February 6th. 2018, so five, but, just I, over five years. but I would even say really the last what 18 months of your life is when you've really like when everything's clicked and like this is neat for matt and i because matt and i have been living devoted fervently following the lord for a long time i mean i can't even count the years here and even though we teach and we preach within the church walls to people a better way of doing things in fact you hear matt and i say we're sort of missionaries to the church over and over and over we get really excited when when somebody like Sam comes. And so, but there was a little bit of setting the record straight. Like, you know, when I met you, it's only been like 18 months, two years when I met you, like I loved your enthusiasm. I I, I remember saying like, this is a guy like I want in my circle. This is a guy I want to be in my 12. I also want to do that. 
but there is a little bit of, of doing exactly what we're reading in Timothy yep. of saying like, I love your enthusiasm, but your theology, your scriptural yeah. understanding is a little off. Let's yeah. get it back on I board. I went from Baptist to Lutheran to like, <laughs> I was one of those guys that was like, oh my gosh, what is going on? Like all of these things that I was taught aren't true. And they, they're part of one verse and part of another verse put together. And mm -hmm. I think... Um, for me, like I do more of my evangelism in my church than I do in the world. Yeah. And, or even if it's out in the world, it's more with Christians than it is without. Now, one of the reasons why we invited you to talk today, you connect in a bunch of different ways, yeah. so you're perfect for our video. But one of the reasons why is because Matt and I read all of these scriptures and we see something a little bit different than this, like, you know, evangelistic like preach to the 6,000 hope 200 end up in a church we see more of a hospitality perspective yeah. of it and I think you've done that really well and you didn't even necessarily know what you were doing you weren't doing it because you thought the Bible said this best you right. you just you figured out that a hospitality perspective is what Jesus was looking for in your life and yeah. about I don't know a few weeks ago Matt uh, preached on hospitality and you weren't preaching on evangelism no. but it was an evangelistic but message yeah <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but you were. yeah and so hospitality as evangelism is is really important i think it's really at the core of of evangelism so let's look just a little bit at that before we kick it over to Sam and kind of interview him on, on this. Yeah, this is kind of going to set him up a little bit. I could get really into this in the Old Testament. So again, if I were to say in the Old Testament that there was evangelism, this is about the only place you can really find it is through hospitality. And again, when you're looking at this is kind of the opposite of that, but I used the Rahab story earlier. How did that happen? Well, it's all based around hospitality. Yep. And yeah. so, Zacchaeus. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so there's this um, verse in Isaiah 42, 2. It says, uh, he will cry out, raise a voice, his voice heard, uh, nor make his voice heard in the street. And the idea of it is, it's, it's a little prophetic, but it's talking about Jesus coming and you know setting the way and that that's going to be quiet kind of the underneath under or the, the radar. you know under the radar the underside and oftentimes today in our churches the evangelism part is the loudest part and that never sits well with me because I don't see Jesus as being boisterous. I don't see him sitting out on the corner with a sign out or saying this or anything like we never, yeah. we never get that. And so, you know, from the very beginning, it's interesting that it was prophetic that they knew Jesus was going to come this way in a way that most people didn't expect. So when people kind of take that boisterous evangelicalism uh, method I actually sort of think it's anti-biblical. Like we don't get that anywhere. We don't have a guy sitting on the corner screaming it out or, you know, going out in crusades to do this or anything like that. I mean, some people would say when Jesus was preaching to the multitudes, he was out being the evangelist. But when you study Mount of Olives Sermon on the Mount, it was actually quite different than that. It was way more discipleship oriented than he was just introducing people to the Lord. In fact, a lot of times people thought that his followers were bringing others in. They were having those conversations first and then they were saying, now let Jesus 
explain it. Explain <laughs> yeah. this. Yeah. yeah, and so I think much of evangelism in the early church was really centered around the table rather than the street corner. Mm -hmm. um, Jesus was always eating with people. It's pretty much, if you look at the Gospel of Luke, every other page, he's at some meal yeah. or party, yeah, <laughs> and he's exactly. talking with people. And so John Mark Comer actually has this amazing message on hospitality as evangelism um, that he did at uh, Bridge something church. It's out of Portland. Okay. But um, yeah, and but basically in the, in the ancient culture, who you ate with meant you were friends with them. It, it it wasn't just like we can have an acquaintance over that, but really it meant intimacy and friendship with those you ate with. And Jesus was always, according to the Pharisees, eating with the wrong people. <laughs> and it was a, it was a very high virtue. And there even starts to get into this like reclaiming your enemies thing because mm -hmm. you know Jesus often is eating with people that the world would have said was his enemies. They were right. the most mm -hmm. unlike Jesus, yet he was invited to their table or mm -hmm. inviting them to his table. And so we see this very intimate relationship going on. And boy, you describe some of the, the laying down at the table moments that mm -hmm. Jesus had, the you know washing of his feet with the woman and the hair and everything. And I mean, <clears throat> these become, these hospitality moments become very intimate moments. Yeah. And I think we can kind of take a mark from that as we've, we've kind of lost that in our culture. I yeah. remember when my dad used to be a preacher at these churches and he would go from one to the other. He's an itinerant pastor and he used to basically like try to try to challenge the church to do things that they hadn't done. And he used to say the thing that they're not doing consistently <clears throat> that they really should be doing is inviting people into their home yeah. for dinner mm -hmm. for yeah, actually, I think the church I grew up in really did this really well. It's, um, the pastor there challenged the elders of our church. Whenever you see somebody new at church, he had he had gift cards available for restaurants. Yeah. He said, if you can't bring them into your home, he's like, invite somebody, if you see a new person at the church, to come into your home. If not, I'm like, there's gift cards in the office for different restaurants in town. Grab one and take them out to eat on yeah, the church. That's awesome. And so they would always welcome new people that way by having the elders of I the church yep. meet people and then take them out for a meal yep. right after church yep. Just yep. to get to know them. And that's <clears throat> the reason like my parents landed at the church they did when we were younger because they formed a connection with one of the elders over a meal. And it's interesting that at our Expedition 44 gatherings, we do range nights and other things like that. And when we do it, we it's pretty much for those that are all in, that yeah, follow that way. In fact, I've told some people, yeah, this isn't for you, but I'll tell you when the next, next thing we're doing that might be for you is because we want to keep it that all-in worshipful experience. Mm -hmm. But I mean, this last one, we, we had several people just stop in to check it out you know mm -hmm. to just see what's going on here i think i put a post on facebook hey we're going to be here stop in and check it out and we had three people stop and check it out all three of them we stopped stopped everything i think you were even playing mm -hmm. music and yeah. i said hey stop you know we, we got this guy <laughs> that stopped by we lay hands on all three of them and pray over them and all three of them throughout the week are going to come back and say it was the most profound impact they had how do they get more of this and that's the interaction of the church. But yeah. it was it was sort of the starting of the hospitality of inviting them mm -hmm. into our space. Yeah. And why do you think that Jesus used bread and wine as his symbols of the kingdom 
if he didn't intend it to be around a table. Right. You know? I'm like, communion itself yeah. is supposed to be a point. love feast yeah. around the table. And he's encouraging communion itself. And yet there's so many denominations that, like, say, like, don't partake of this yeah. unless you're... Yeah. Part of it. Yes, I think that there's an aspect of that that's really important. But also it's it's part of, like, I think Jesus wanted that to be the symbols of his covenant and inviting people in. So communion can almost be an evangelistic thing as well. I don't even know that we have a 44 logo on us right now. Wait, hold on. Got one right here. (laughs) One one logo on us, but if you look at it, you'll notice some people don't get this. It's a chalice. And so it's the wine, the blood, but it's the fellowship, the communion of people. Mm -hmm. And even when we have these gatherings, there are always people that just come for the food. I hear that all the time. You know, I've been looking forward to this for a month. You know, I brought my eight kids so they could eat this month. You know, it blows me away, but that's still true. Cool. All right, well, that's kind of like our transition point, and let's let's talk with uh, Sam. What's a better way? Uh-huh. We're gonna we're gonna look at evangelism. So, Sam, we've gone through a whole lot of stuff on evangelism already yeah. today. How do you define it? Um, evangelism to me is just showing people what Jesus looked like, um, and I think perspectively we get the ideals that you have to be out with a megaphone you have to be um, doing all these crazy things and you have to get all these people to give their lives to Christ but um, I like I said before I do most of my evangelism to Christians and I look for opportunities um, that the doors open for that so when I'm at like Walmart I'm looking and I'm like I hear somebody say Jesus Christ I'm like amen Amen, sister. And it opens the door and she's like, yeah, I'm religious. And I'm like, yeah, well, I'm not really religious. I'm kind of all in and that's my Lord, right? So it just, it opens the door and then like through this, I'm doing it in a loving way though. That's, that's, I think where people get it so wrong is they do it in like a (laughs) condemning way where it's just like, you're, you're, you're a heretic for, for saying that you're a Christian and you're not, you're not living it out. When you truly do it out of love, like that's when true repentance comes. That's when people change their ways because mm-hmm. true repentance comes from condemnation or not from condemnation, but from love. And I think that's where evangelists get it so wrong. They're like, they just want to shake people and be like, you're getting it wrong. You're not doing it right. If you were to die that's today. That's not what Jesus yeah. did. Right? You know? exactly. <laughs> if, you, if you truly like, I, like when I became a Christian, I'm gifted in evangelism so like i was like all right god i looked at the bible from an evangelistic perspective kind of the opposite of what you guys are looking at i'm like what did jesus do he always sat people down and he asked them questions that would reveal their heart posture to them Mm -hmm. he didn't say hey woman at the well you're sleeping with all these people and you got you're basically not a good person right he didn't say that to her he said let me show you a different way. Let me show you how loved you are and how, how sacred and how perfect you are. And he showed her mm-hmm. a different perspective of herself that she yeah. didn't know. So I'm, I hang out with, with Sam a lot. And like we'll be just out doing things. And I don't think he acts like this just when he's around me. No, yeah. I mean, it's just yeah. who he is. But like I almost get frustrated by like... Oh, where's Sam now? He's off talking to somebody about Jesus, you yeah. know, like it, he's, it, it's all the time. And so, like I said, we just went on a Amen Adventure Boundary Water trip and uh, Sam was talking to all the kids about how to live this way. And I hate to say it, but like it might be the first time our 
our Jesus kids, our Jesus culture has ever like really heard that evangelism story yeah. because we're we're so discipleship focused on yep. it. I loved that you, you know, they were thinking about yeah. that. So tell us a little bit about like maybe what you shared with the kids of how to share or, or the way that you go about living that way. Yeah, so I just, you know, at, I, we were in the car and I said, hey, we just stopped at a gas station because we did a lot of stops. We had a lot of kids. And uh, <laughs> I said, we just stopped at a, at a gas station. I said, how many people did you guys interact with and how did it look like Jesus? I didn't say how many people did you tell about Jesus. I said, how did it, how did you look like Jesus to somebody else? And I think that's the important mm. thing is like the perspective of looking like it more than talking about it because a lot of people talk about it and they don't look like it and that's where a lot of the hypocrisy comes from and that's one mm -hmm. of the things that Christ talked a lot about was the hypocrisy and um, so I would challenge them I said alright when we stop at the next um, gas station look for an opportunity to share Jesus with somebody or look like Jesus so we as we went on through the trip, like they actually started getting excited about it. And I could see Ryan's like, oh yeah, now you're teaching my kids evangelism. And I'm trying to keep them in this bubble. You're trying to get them out of it, you know. I think so, at one point I said, you're on a short leash here. Yeah, Be he careful. Did. <laughs> he did. He did. But it was great because like our giftings are so different that they're used. And these two do so much evangelism that they don't even realize. Like they do so many things. Like I cannot tell you the countless times where Ryan shows up at somebody's house and doing something because there's a trial or there's not even a trial going on. He just randomly shows up yeah. and most of the time they don't want him there. Right. But he's looking like Jesus in that moment and that's truly showing the heart of Christ and the kingdom of God through that yeah. action, you know? And so one of the things that really blessed me is my youngest Reed, who's 11 now. So Sam's kind of every opportunity we're doing this. And then it's interesting because then we go into the canoe trip mm -hmm. and you don't see a lot of people there. Yep. And so he's still having these conversations. We're yep. still working on how to do that, whether it's working on each other or somebody you bump into at the portage yep. or something like that. But at the end of the trip, like we're getting out and I was so like, this is just a proud dad moment that I would attest to. Um, thank you, Sam, that yeah. like you gave him this moment is I was kind of in the moment. Sam and I are like, you know, getting the boats out of the water, putting them on the canoe trailer and everything. And there's this DNR guy who is an aquatic species yep. person. And, and he was just checking the boats to make sure, you know, where are you going? You yep. know, do I need to look at this or anything like that? And so Reed basically like this guy is just not happy. He's driving this old rusty truck. I was thinking, can't the DNR like give him like something yeah. more, you know, transportable. But anyway, I'm like sitting there kind of not wanting to talk to him, yep. doing my own thing. I'm like on on point of like I gotta get us out of here. And so Reed pretty much puts down everything and he just goes and starts talking to this guy. I don't even know what they were really talking about. But essentially, this cranky old guy, my 11-year-old, goes up to, and he basically, you know, I overheard this one party, basically says to him, he goes, this would be such an amazing job. You have such an opportunity to help people. And it just, this guy, like, you should have seen his face. Like, he didn't know what to say. <laughs> yeah. Like, he was, like, blown away of, like, he had never considered that before. Yep. And Reed didn't even really like talk Jesus language with him, you yep. know. He just like challenged him in did. this one area, mm -hmm. and he did, yeah. you know. And it was it was amazing. The so, best uh, the best um, evangelism is when 
you're witnessing to somebody and they're starting to realize they watch their perspective shift because mm-hmm. every person, God created us all to be loved. Like everybody wants to be loved and everybody wants to feel valued. And when you can make somebody feel loved and feel valued through an interaction, they long for that. They see something different. They're like, oh my gosh, this guy's been coming in a quick trip or this guy's been coming into Walmart. Like there's this guy at, at Walmart in Burlington and I say hi to him every single time. And I'm very, like, he's like one of those grumpy dudes. And like, he never smiles. And I would walk by him and I'd be like, hey, today's the day you're gonna smile. And slowly it just went from a smirk. And now when when he sees me coming from outside and he's standing there, that dude smiles. And it just changes his perspective. And then he goes back to his grumpy self (laughs) When, when I walk away, because I walk by, you know, he's over by the entry, and when I walk by, he's still the grumpy old guy. But when he sees me, a little bit of seeds planted, just a little bit, just a little bit every single time. And it's just like every time I interact with them, it carries maybe five seconds longer. Yeah. And it just, like the transformation of love from one person to another when it's truly from Christ, yeah. like it's powerful. Yeah. You know? I also am impressed that, like, you know, you you do really well to the least of these and i think mm-hmm. that's a great mm-hmm. jesus quality and that i continually have to tell myself of like i have to treat everybody the same way as yeah. jesus yeah. would that you yeah. know i'm mm-hmm. seeing them through jesus eyes yeah. not through anything else yeah. again some of my I, I laugh about this. If you might not know this, of the viewers watching me, but I'm like an ADD. You know, like mm-hmm. I just stay on focus, type A, get it done. Yeah. And so again, like I'm with Sam all the time, and he's like always off, and I'm always like thinking, "Let's go, Let's go. Sam!" But <laughs> yeah. the majority of the time, it's the Mary Martha thing. Like yeah. he's off talking to somebody about Jesus again, yeah. and I mean, it's just it's a beautiful thing, mm-hmm. and. And usually it's to the down and out people that I turn around yeah. and find you. It's like the homeless guy sitting over here, or the quick trip guy that's, you know, trying to praying that he's, his car is going to make it to the next place, you know, or something that's like that. That's the easiest person to evangelize to mm-hmm. because they're, they're, I mean, most, most people that I know, most testimonies that you hear about, it's people at rock bottom that, that are like, I've tried everything that I've can, I, I, I know to in life and before they actually get it. And with those people, most of them don't have anything. They don't have, their ship is, is like a cardboard boat yeah, yeah. that they have to give up. It's not the guy that has a $2 million yeah. yacht that he has to walk away from to follow Jesus. It's a canoe, right. you know? So you identified something earlier. So. I'm almost anti-evangelism. A lot yeah. of people know, know that about me is that like, you know, my my transformer power bar, as Matt yeah. said, I'm a number one in evangelism. <laughs> I hate to say it, but it's a gift that I recognize yeah. and I want to get better into it. So if there's people out there kind of like me of saying, all right, I'm a, I'm, I'm on the other spectrum. I teach and preach to the, to the yeah. seminary students, yeah. whatever, you know, where do you start? Um, I'd say the easiest part, place to start is to start loving the people that you hate. So the easiest way to start evangelizing, if, if, if it's not natural to you, is to, like Matt said, start loving the people. So the people that drive you nuts, those are the people that you need to love. And it doesn't have to be this huge transition, just, just like little seeds, just little things here and there. And we're creatures of habit. When we start doing these little things, they just start snowballing into big things. Like for you, Ryan, there's there's people that drive you nuts. Like 
that just can't get it. I'm the same way. Right. Like, I'm just like, how can these people not get it? Because we're both the all-in yep. type guys. Yep. We're like, once we commit to something at fault, we're going to be all-in to it, even yep. if it takes us a lot longer than we were supposed to. But once we start loving those people, loving that woman at the well, once we start loving those people that we deem unlovable in our lives, that's when stink things start to change for us in our lives. Then, And mm -hmm. I think a lot of people don't realize that they're evangelizing, and they are. Like, showing the love of Christ to somebody is evangelism. Yeah. That's mm -hmm. that's all it is. It's just looking like Jesus in the moment and when it's crazy and chaotic and it looks so much like the world, it doesn't take much to stand out. Like the best thing that you can do is to be a witness to Jesus is to look like Jesus. So if there's a crazy toxic environment that you're in, like it can be a church, it can be a fight, it can be mm -hmm. something that big or it could be a family gathering where chaos is happening and two people are right. arguing and you're just like, hey, we need to calm this down and just be peace. Yeah. Be the calm in the storm. You know, yeah. there's so many different ways to evangelize. And I think people always say with the gifts that I'm not gifted in that, but they really are. They're just gifted in a different way than it looks yeah. to somebody else. Yeah. Both of you guys are very gifted in evangelism. You just don't look at it from the perspective of evangelism. Yeah. I do. Yeah. You know, we don't look like the evangelical church. Yeah. You don't look like the guy standing there with the microphone like yelling yeah, on the, the corner, guy who goes or talks. the guy that's in Walmart praying over somebody. But both of you guys pray over plenty of people all the time. You just perspectively think about it differently because a lot of them are believers already. Where you guys focus on discipleship, I fo I try to focus. I don't focus on anything. I just try to look for opportunities to love people well. And it's interesting that our our evangelism probably is more centered in discipleship, which I believe yeah. is mm -hmm. biblical evangelism. Yep. Yep. Of like I said, we're we're doing these Expedition Forty Four kind of retreats, yeah. and people come into them, and they they're supposed to be proclaiming a knowledge of faith. But what do we find that usually after the three day weekend they find like. I mean, it's it's not uncommon. We're not really supposed to have baptisms on these things, but it's not uncommon that everybody wants to get baptized yeah. because they're going. I've been doing this the wrong way. I didn't get it, and now I, I a totally fresh start. Get it. That's yeah. exactly yeah. right. So, Sam, uh, final question here yep. before we kind of wrap up this episode: What does the church get right about evangelism, and what can they do to improve in your estimation? Um, I think depends on what church you ask. Like yeah. my church. Um, I would say we do a really good job of, like Ryan would say, bringing people out of the darkness into the light, but then we kind of lack on the discipleship side of that. Like, I think that there's a lot of churches that are that have really good strengths in certain things and, and they're weaker in other things. And mm -hmm. I think that, to be honest, I think there's a lot of businesses that, that run a lot better than the churches do. I think that, like we were talking about, you have evangelists in, in the biblical times, the New Testament, in the Acts, where you had people that were going out evangelizing to people, then there was apostles coming, starting churches, and then there was pastors coming in and, and leading those churches. And I think a lot of that lacks in, in a lot of our churches where we have yeah. really one of those and not all of those. And I think that's where the hindrances are in our churches is we tend to want to identify as just one of those instead of all of those. And that's right. what mm -hmm. the Bible calls us to is the whole, the completeness, right? Mm -hmm. That we're talking about. It's not just one thing or the other, you know? I also find that sometimes I'm 
almost jealous of my kids that they do this better than we do. Yeah. I don't know if you've seen that or not, but like, you know, again, we have our little micro church mm-hmm. of kids all the time and they'll ask, Hey, can I bring so-and-so over? And I'm kind of like, mm-hmm. eh, this is like our core yeah. group. I don't know. They're not then, in our bubble. Yeah. They're not <laughs> in our bubble. And then I, I let them bring this kid over and like, I, I can't count how many families now have mm-hmm. been like are at our church i mean we've got several that come to mount zion now because their kids interacted with our kids saw saw what was being modeled wanted part of that and now like they're begging to be part of that mm-hmm. you know close group that way their, yeah. pers- their perspectives aren't so tarnished when they're young yeah. you know yeah. they're they haven't been taught the wrong way for mm-hmm. 10 years right. you know so it's like and kids are bold they are <laughs> and, <laughs> and are a, bold. Lot of, a lot of people a lot of adults come through come to christ through their kids mm-hmm. through the way that they see their kids they're like oh my gosh i'm supposed to be teaching this kid but this kid is teaching me yeah you know exactly. even myself my kids constantly remind me the things that i <laughs> teach them all the time like Dad, that's not what you taught yesterday. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. My, my son, Eli, he's just an inviter. He just oh, loves yeah. inviting people to small group. That's yeah. like his thing. He's like... <laughs> yeah, I'm a gatherer. He tried to invite like half his baseball oh, team yeah. last time. Pretty we much. Were yeah. You want to come? You want to come? We're like, Eli, Eli. Hey, hey. Hey. You're like, I'm like, let's get the whole organization. <laughs> yeah. Good. All right. So let, let's conclude. Let's summarize yeah. the evangelism, the evangelist. So what is an evangelist? It's essentially a recruiter. It's uh, the carrier. It's the communicator, the storytellers of the gospel message that Jesus is king. The they, truth people. They're, that's they're, right. They're going to tell the truth. They're going to bring some of the things that might have been told back into a mm-hmm. biblical understanding. And they also call people to respond to what Jesus is doing, to yeah, respond yeah. to his kingship. What are the core tasks? Yeah, so their main concern are really they have a burden for those outside of the kingdom. Yep. Um, and they really make clear the offer to come be part of that, to come and see, you know? Yeah. I call them brand ambassadors. They're yeah. going to be the ones, uh, you know, we're representing our friend Paul that I said, Sam's friend, yeah, and Sam's. Amen Adventures today and everything else. But in the way that we represent, we, the reason Matt and I are recognizing the brands is because the brands recognize Jesus. Jesus. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So let's kind of look a little bit as we conclude about the impact when I guess evangelism just becomes the main thing yeah. um, to the, I guess it's monopolized. Yeah. Um, yeah. You What you often see with that, and I, I've got this from a few different books, uh, five Q by Alan Hirsch is a really good book here. He kind of analyzes, all right, when when you got imbalance in these five, fivefold, yep. um, the gift of evangelism when it becomes a central thing, then the church tends to have a very narrow vision. Yep. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the big things that he identifies. The second is that there's really a lack of communal health because they're more focused on the outside than the inside of the yep. church. Yep. And the third thing he says is they have a really narrow perspective then of faith that it's usually just about making a decision or selling a product or making people to say a prayer that rather than a whole robust um, view of discipleship. So when I look at the body, when I look at the communal body of Christ, each person, you know, I count a lot of gifts. Again, maybe innumerable, maybe 22, you know, there's there's books on that too Mm -hmm. if you want to read it. But I don't just see a place where the five are elevated. And that's where you know, I, I wrote a whole article on this several months ago on Expedition 44, and that's really the problem I have with any of the fivefold thinking is that the, the, the body of Christ is way more than just those mm-hmm. five. And 
when you look at evangelism as being, you know, part of the fivefold, it seems like we're really emphasizing a very small part of what's going on in the big picture of what we're supposed to be doing. Yeah, and so kind of um, we need all of the five plus the 22, yeah. <laughs> you know, to be a healthy church. Yeah. And But these five in Ephesians 4 are specifically just listed about unity and growth in the body. It's yeah. not saying that they're better than any other aspects, though. But when we looked at the apostolic a few episodes back, is they're the ones who work to kind of set the culture, to plant, yeah. to weed, to, to water in the community, and they're often itinerant workers who yeah. travel from place to place. and Plowing and new out. roads. Yeah. I like that, that slogan. Yeah, they're yeah. making new, new inroads for mm-hmm. evangelism, discipleship. Yeah, and the prophetic gifting is often about being covenant enforcers, keeping the kingdom community on the right track. Yeah. You know, yeah. Often they've got this connection this line with god where they can see things through his eyes and where things are getting off and so we need that and then with the evangelists they embody the gospel message they're the ones who want to share it boldly and invite people into that which results not only in growth in numbers but then hopefully growth in people pursuing discipleship yes so our next one is going to be shepherd teacher that's gonna that's where we're headed there and whether you put those things together or Keep, or them keep them separate. separate. We're, we're gonna, gonna look we're, at that. We're gonna have that conversation. Yeah. So, kind of the overview of this whole video is uh, the Great Commission connects the preaching of the gospel with discipleship. They're two sides of the same coin. They can't be yep. divorced as the four American gospels do. Yep. And so that's why we see that they those four gospels that we often hear preached are actually deficient yep. um, gospels. Old Testament connects everything with community. Evangelism was the community being the the light. Um, to the world, the city on the hill. New Testament evangelism also was that. It was about people coming and following Jesus, inviting people into the community. It wasn't so much selling an eternal destination, but it was inviting people to follow Jesus. Yeah, and then, you know, we didn't touch much on the conversion experience, those words. Mm -hmm. You hear that a lot today of, of... you know, the conversion. Now we believe that should be an allegiant faith conversion Mm -hmm. and whether people take it that way or not, that's something that kind of needs to be brought back into that conversation, but it could start that way. Yeah. uh, But Jesus says that that decision is costly. Yeah. And that's what we need to do. Like modern day evangelism, the four American gospels, make it an easy sale where it's actually a whole life commitment that should transform everything and cause basically you to, like Jesus said, that that those who follow the kingdom, it it brings a sword often between people because it's causing you to live a radical way of life. Exactly. And I think the other, you know, really important thing that really puts all this in the right context or the box is that it's got to be relational and that's why we talked about food talked about the the chalice things Mm -hmm. like that is because it's relational and it brings people into a community which turns into a culture of a king and a kingdom Mm -hmm. and that's really what jesus was trying to get his people to do and i hate to say it that but that when he commissions the disciples to go and make disciples to do this to bring this kind of community to people today we hardly see any of that kind of community. Yeah. In fact, the three of us and those in our little circles often, you know, talk about this dream of like, you know, circling up the wagons around a lake or something yeah. like that and like building a worship place there and just doing exactly what this says because 
even at our own church, like it's very difficult to bring back this kind of thinking. It it almost needs a complete paradigm and life shift to live the way that is being expressed to truly evangelize. Yes. Yeah. And I and when I give a lot of uh, when I when I witness to a lot of people, I give them my cards. And there's several people that I've given twelve cards to. Yeah. You know, because I've witnessed to them like tw- they're like, yeah. I already got one. I'm like, yeah, but you didn't use it. You didn't call you know, me. You, like, didn't you didn't show up. Me. You, you didn't, didn't do anything. <laughs> so a lot of the evangelism that I do, I'm just planting seeds with these people. Like it isn't like I go there and I'm like, hey, mm. you need to do an altar call. I'm like, you're not ready for an altar call. Yeah. Like you're not gonna give up everything in your life, <laughs> yeah. and I know that. You know, that's so, beautiful. That's I'm great. I'm just like, yeah. I don't, I don't do those. I pray with them and I just say, hey, yeah. I just pray that they get closer to you. You're you know going to take I mean? a lot of seeds in yeah, other words. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to need bags and bags and bags of seeds to throw. That's great. You know? well, yeah. Sam, thanks so much yeah, for joining us for this conversation. Um, yeah. We just love how you model the evangelist, how you model Jesus, and it's, it is such a gift on your life. So um, stay tuned. Uh, next episode, we might be talking about my dissertation. We might okay. be talking about the pastor and teacher, or the we'll pastor teacher. Um, but yeah, thanks for joining us. Sorry for the long break um, that we've had. And it's good to be back together making videos. And there are more to come. May Amen. God bless you and keep you.